Welcome to the Cover 2 Resources podcast series, a podcast series about addiction and addiction education. My name is Amy McNeil. I lost my brother Samuel to a heroin overdose on October 23, 2015. He was 28. As a family, we thought we were prepared to help Sam fight addiction, but we were painfully mistaken. My family founded Cover 2 Resources in memory of Sam. Our mission is to arm others with the knowledge needed to best support a loved one struggling with opioid addiction. The Cover 2 Resources podcast is an ongoing series in which we interview experts in the fight against opioid addiction. It is made possible through donations and sponsorships from concerned individuals or organizations. If you want to help in the fight against opioid addiction, please consider donating or sponsoring the Cover 2 podcast. Go to cover2.org for more information. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Music, Stitcher, and via RSS feed. Simply search for the full name, Cover 2 Resources, on your platform of choice. Thank you for listening. Hi, this is Greg McNeil, founder of Cover 2 Resources, and I'm joined today by Tim Elliott, who is the Executive Director of Reentry and Recovery for the Dalton Foundation. So, Tim, welcome. Thank you, Greg. Great to be here. Okay. So, let's dig right into this. You've got a passion for working with and, and trying to address the opioid epidemic in a very unique way. So, let's start with your story. Yeah, so my story personally is I am a person in long-term recovery and uh, have stayed committed to that journey. And um, along the way, I've developed certain skills through my career and most recently uh, is in the digital uh, marketing area. And as a result of that, um, I really started thinking over the last couple of years that there was some fragmentation in the marketplace as far as being able to connect people in need to providers within the marketplace. Boy, isn't that the truth? Yeah, it really is. And it's amazing as I look at reports from Boston to Los Angeles to Franklin County and Columbus, Ohio, it's the same uh, consistent message or problem that I see being identified is that there's a disconnect between uh, providers and capacity, is there available capacity, and people trying to find that. So there's a uh, perception out there that we just don't have the capacity. Yes. And I would say through our research over the last couple years, we would challenge that conclusion and say it's really not a lack of capacity, but a lack of information about providers. And with that thought in mind, we realize that with the technology that we have today, we have the ability to you know, close the gap on that disconnect by building a platform that actually would be a marketplace for all the providers that are available today. So let's talk about how um, that that overall marketplace and all of the providers that you see as being part of that, as you call it, the marketplace. Yeah. So I... I have so many discussions with um, family members, parents, teachers, rabbis, priests, pastors, and a lot of times we see that there's an advocate for somebody in need, but we call it the net one experience, and that is the first time 
they find out that a loved one is in trouble, it's what do we do? Where do we go? How do we get help? And today, it's really a matter of who do I know and what black book or list do they have of people that I can call? Often that becomes very frustrating and time-consuming, and often that perpetuates some of the problem of that loved one that maybe really wants help, uh, but yet we cannot find it. Also, they're really vulnerable at that point because they're plunged into crisis mode. Correct. So they're looking for answers and they really want to uh, – well, they're, they're vulnerable because they believe just about anything that they read. If it looks good and if it sounds good, they want to hear solutions. Yeah, and I think the concern I have as a marketing person and even in today the, the, you know, the line is false news – most people today will jump online and start doing some type of search, and often they'll experience somebody that is a good marketer, and the first page that they come up on a, a Google search or a Bing search or a Yahoo search is often a provider that is maybe for-profit, maybe not, but has spent some marketing dollars to provide some information to actually lead them to a treatment solution. But that may not be the most helpful information. You know, just like uh, there's a predictable sequential path into addiction, nobody plans on being an addict, but there is a path. There's also a clear path uh, out of addiction. But what happens is in that net one experience, often panic kicks in because we're in crisis and people assume that the first step is treatment. That's not necessarily true, but yet a treatment provider would want to lead you down that path to make that treatment decision. There are, I think, a lot of discussions and questions to be asked first. Does that individual that's in need really want help? Have they identified that they have a problem and admitting it and really raising their hand to, I have a problem and I want to do something about it? Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of aspects to this. Um, the the A big, big aspect is vetting of those providers. Again, going back to, um, you know, knowing that you can be confident in the information and knowing that, you know, any providers that you are going to be um, presented with are really have been vetted someplace. So let's speak to that just a little bit. Yeah, I, that's a great question, Greg. I, it, Unfortunately, what happens is any new developing marketplace, which we'll call the recovery industry a developing marketplace, there is not a lot of regulation. And so what happens is that you're going to have good and bad providers. And I'll give you an example. There's a great organization in Columbus called Ohio Recovery Housing which is an organization to create standards of operation for organizations, which is a good thing. Uh, But if you go to their resource tab, and let's say I'm looking for a woman's facility in Summit County, Ohio, a recovery house, there is only one listed. Hmm. That's all that's available on their resource tab. Now, it's the only one that is going by their standards, I know that there's a half a dozen to 10 that are actually in operation. The challenge is they're not operating under any guidelines or standards. 
We believe that the marketplace, when somebody is going to lurk, should know that information. If somebody is following a standard, a guideline, or is there's an accreditation, that if uh, there's one available and there's two organizations and one is following and one is not, the marketplace should have that information. Somebody in need or an advocate should have that information to be able to make that decision. We believe that will, in effect, help clean up the marketplace. Okay. So the name of the database, I'll call it, yes. is Relink, and the site is relink.org. Correct. And right now, you're in the process of vetting these providers, loading it, and it's going to be a user-friendly, searchable provider platform organized to quickly return real-time information on the usable platform. Yes. So if you think about a uh, fragmented process, it's it's stepping back a little bit and going, all right, where is there a disconnect? Where is there inefficiency in the process of trying to connect need with providers? So it's stepping back and looking at where that disconnect is and then trying to close that gap. So first it's categorizing them, whether it would be, let's say, an emergency, a crisis situation, and then offering all available providers within that platform, whether it's detox or 911 EMS uh, connectivity. Uh, it could be uh, addiction recovery. It could be housing. It could be healthcare because we're seeing a lot of dual diagnosis. And again, it's the ability, our goal is really to be three clicks away from connecting you to a searchable need in a category and then actually connecting with that provider. The first goal is to create that list that will be geotagged. So wherever you're identified, it will now give you searchable providers uh, based on near to furthest out, based on your location, whether you're on a mobile device or on an, a regular uh, computer. Tell me a little bit about what the timeline looks like for Summit County. Yes. That's, so right now, the I would say the site is live. So the milestones and benchmarks that we've hit was you know, create the searchable database. Now we're adding providers. So that's okay. the big challenge right now. And um, we're doing two things on that front. We are uh, actively in-house, you know, asking people for their list to share provider information. We're also developing a, a provider portal where a provider actually can go in through the website and actually self-set up and get themselves on the site. So that actually will be live by the first week of June. Um, mm -hmm. Our goal is to actually go live uh, July 15th next month mm -hmm. um, in Summit County um, with actually now uh, a rollout and an announcement that you know this uh, platform is available you know for the public to use. Mm -hmm. uh, there's obviously no charge for it, so it's mm -hmm. a customer or it's a public service where, again, now people are going to be able to start using the platform, whatever their role is, whatever their situation is, to go find that. What's exciting about that is we also believe that the information and the data behind that search activity is going to be very, very powerful, um, mainly because we see a couple things happening. 
is often we see in our research that services are being provided that are not necessarily uh, the right services for that individual uh, because they maybe have not had a proper assessment. Again, so maybe a jump to treatment before some things were actually done that were necessary to be able to be a guide. So, so are you saying that that um, assessment, an option for that assessment that people should really consider, is having the assessment done up front independent? Yeah, I, I would say, you know, in taking ownership of any medical decision, mm-hmm. it's having options and opinions. Mm-hmm. And so you go, if again, I if somebody wants to go to an IBH and get an assessment, they can do that. But mm-hmm. there's all sorts of assessments that can happen. There can be online, anonymous, independent ones done mm-hmm. where you can actually self-assess. And mm-hmm. we would mm-hmm. want to provide connection portal for that. Uh, but through your local Adams boards, most counties have an Adams board where you can actually go now independently and get an assessment as the first step in that process. That's a very, uh, that's a very good point. And I don't think that that knowledge is generally out there. I think the first thing that people do, I'm glad you brought this out, because I think the very first thing that people do is they make that leap that, hey, we need to get them into treatment. We need to do that right now. They select the spot. They find out if they've got a bed and bam, they're right there. And they've passed that entirely. And they've missed out on an opportunity. Yeah, I got a call just yesterday um, from a gentleman that that we met at one of the greater than heroin luncheons Mm -hmm. asking about a nephew who, again, you know, was seeking, you know, options. And, you know, his question to me is, you know, Tim, we want to help him, but how do we know if he's ready? Mm -hmm. You know, and that's really a great question. It's a a great question. Mm -hmm. And I go... The challenge is this, is that somebody uh, that is still actively in addiction, we know that they have the ability to manipulate family members to their own end. And, That's an you know, understatement. And, and, well, and so you go, gosh, um, you know, so much money and time and energy is wasted because of this lack of understanding. Because we want to help, but we're not sure really how to help. And I go back to... You know, just like there is a predictable path into addiction, you know, there is a predictable path out of it and into recovery and into a restored life. You know, one of our goals is to also educate now the marketplace, family members, people, advocates to what that path is. So they know, no, we need to do this first before we consider this second. You know, it's, it's again, it's sharing that information because... I mean, we see people, you know, wasting their entire retirement accounts. I mean, their life savings on a second and third treatment out of pocket because insurance, but yet the individual is really not ready for recovery yet. Yeah, that's, uh, and we all know that they're not really going to make it long-term in recovery until they make that commitment. Yes. Yeah, and for the family, uh, it is it's very very difficult often because we're close so close to it, but it's leading them down an either or path, and that's very hard, because ultimately a person in active addiction, you cannot tell them what they need to do. Okay, um, so in going through the <clears throat> the PowerPoint presentation about Relink um, prior to today and and this podcast. Um, I noticed uh, one screen that has it 
outlined, a lot of information outlined and in a kind of a process kind of model. And the thing that caught my eye is the fact that you've got it divided into the crisis mode and then next steps. And then finally, ready to work and the opportunities that you have there. So can you kind of walk our listeners through the concept behind this and, and what's embraced with Relink? Sure, thank you. Um, we call it seeing the future and it's acrostic. So C stands for support, empower, and employ, and employing. Um, support are those individuals around somebody or that want to help somebody that raises their hand and say, I want help. It's the white flag and we want to get the help. But it's now the type of help that is going to be empowering them, not enabling them. So that now looks like a path of steps of personal responsibility. But in crisis mode, Again, the foundation is they need to get the help that they need, and that foundation is recovery. It's a recovery plan. You know, one of the things that we discovered is there's a false assumption both on the reentry side and the recovery side is that the individual that has the problem can self-navigate. That, again, creates that dilemma of, we can't tell them what to do, but we have to lead them down the path of saying we want to help, but this is what help looks like. So it's really boiling it down to, as family members or loved ones, we will will support responsible decisions, not irresponsible decisions, mm -hmm. and then holding that individual accountable. In an addiction situation, the only responsible decision you can make is making your recovery the priority before work, before anything else, because without that foundation of recovery, none of the other things to follow are going to happen. So for a family, this is providing the framework for them on how to best advocate for their loved one. That's correct, yes. So it, it, is, a, it is a template of going from day one through 90 days out, here is what that map would look like, here are the expectations that are reasonable and the things and activities that you know, should be happening and the priorities that those should be putting in. Um, often we'll see, and again, this is a lack of knowledge, they'll go, well, no, he needs to have a job. And that maybe becomes a priority or a co-priority in recovery. And we go, Let's get the foundation of recovery down and then work towards that responsible decision of what recovery looks like and then do some job assessment. Because often the underlying issue is a anxiety or an inability to manage anxiety, which is what causes a lot of addiction, is a lack of coping skills. You know, one of the things that we find out is that the moment that uh, somebody in an addictive behavior starts using uh, whatever their drug of choice is, that's when they stop emotionally growing. So what that would look like is often a 20 or 21-year-old with a 10-year-old emotional capacity. So with that understanding, you have to now gradually take that 10-year-old in an adult body and show them a new path because they cannot figure their way out of that. And that, again, becomes often a dilemma. But if you don't understand that, it will be very frustrating and irritating. You keep going, well, why are they doing that? Why are they acting that way? So with understanding, 
reduces some fear and brings some clarity, but it now helps you advocate better for that person in need. Okay. Um, so I want to come back to something that we just touched on uh, briefly from the side of the end user. So there's, uh, and that's the costs associated with this. So to the end user, this is free. There's no cost for them to use relink.org. Correct. That, you know, just like a Google search, it's going to be a completely free service for those uh, people in need and their advocates. So once we go live with this, it's just going to be an open portal that people can go to at any point in time. Um, we're going to have measurables of success for us that we're going to start monitoring as far as search activity. But our goal is that this would be a utility tool that people in need are going to be able to use it, but that the need to have individual black books is no longer going to be necessary, that there's going to be a centralized platform and portal for people to go to and need to get the information that they want. Okay. Now let's go to the other side of the equation, and that's the provider side. Yes. And um, you've probably read some of the articles, as I have, about how on that side, um, particularly with kickbacks and referral fees and that type of thing, uh, you've got a, a lot of um, unscrupulous activity that's going on, people that yeah. are getting rich referring people over and over and over again. Yeah. And this is particularly, this this has come to light down in Florida in particular. That's kind of our recovery capital, as it would turn out, uh, of uh, the United States. Yeah. Uh, Palm Beach County in particular has 800 um, recovery houses, 800 of them. In one little county. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. And you know how many of them accept Medicaid? Two. Yeah. Yeah. It's so so anyhow, there's there's a lot of stuff going on in, in terms of getting kickbacks from providers and what have you. Speak to what providers the the um, are paying. So our approach is really gonna be pretty simple. It's a great question and on and again back to a developing unregulated marketplace, there's an underside, an underbelly. And as business people, we approach it, uh, one of the lines we have is follow the money. And that's, again, where now abuse comes into the system. And you go, well, how can we now disrupt that in a good way? And that is, again, by being agnostic. We are going to be provider agnostic. So really where there is payola, where there's money being provided, we simply believe that by having all providers available in the marketplace on a for-free platform with a rating system, that the marketplace will actually clean itself up. Okay. So we're removing that element of somebody having to be paid to drive somebody there. Now, are we expecting pushback from that end of the marketplace? We absolutely are. As in any other venture, when you bring disruptive technology, there are going to be people that are going to benefit from it and people where it's going to challenge their current operating model. We are very well aware that this is going to disrupt the for-profit model. So in your case, you're not going to accept any payment from any of these providers? No, we're not. So the uh, provider portal right now, anybody can log in right now. Hmm. We will act basically as a re new referral source. So instead of um, maybe a caseworker from the court or a caseworker from Recovery Resources or an Adams Board, this will now act as, again, an additional new referral source, totally agnostic, um, for providers to drive activity to their, you know, to their services. 
Okay. Let's come back to the timeline. So Summit County uh, goes live July 15th. And then from there, how about the rest of Ohio and then the, the U.S.? So one of the things that we're identifying is that as, you know, we've both been to a lot of meetings uh, at a national and local level. You know, so we, you know, Cleveland Clinic had a symposium, a health forum last week where the U.S. Uh, Surgeon General is there. We know that it's a national problem. It's a national crisis. But the solution, we believe, is going to start locally. So the idea is that we have to, from the beginning, build a scalable platform that will start locally. That's where we're going to learn and develop and grow it. We're going to start with our launch in Summit County. Uh, by the end of the year, we hope to have Cuyahoga County and surrounding counties, kind of the Cleveland marketplace, as well as Franklin County, the largest counties in Ohio, by the end of the year. Our goal then is to develop the other 88 counties throughout Ohio so that this will actually be, again, a hub that will be utilized throughout all of Ohio, through all the counties, because we know that there is overlap of services. There are some resident restrictions regarding some services based on certain communities. But, yeah, we're going to have a platform by the end of uh, 2018 Q1 of 19 that should be statewide by that point in time. Outstanding. Fantastic. Well, this is all very exciting. And as a parent who uh, was uh, plunged into crisis mode and went through this process of researching, you know, the help that was available for, for my son at the time, I absolutely can relate to the problem and and um, I'm very excited that, uh, that you've done something to pull together these, uh, uh, all of the resources in one place and uh, provide some help and guidance for family. That's, uh, that's really encouraging. Yeah, and I would say that's our why, Greg, is that I have just too many discussions with parents, family members, uh, school administrators, court, uh, well-intentioned, great people that have that same problem. And you go, that's just unacceptable. We have to do something about that to have something that they can go to and you know have confidence in the information and that be a valuable resource to them. Outstanding. So that's relink.org is the website. And Tim, I want to thank you for joining us today. Any final comments or observations for our listeners? Oh, Greg, thanks. You know, one, I want to just thank you for all that you've done. Gosh, as you think about your journey and really uh, taking a, a family crisis and a personal pain and doing something good with it. It's, gosh, the greatest thing I could tell you is along the way is having met people like you, but other good intentioned people that want to do something, that want to create change. And that really would be my challenge and kind of the message that we hear is there's a place for everybody to get involved. This is truly an American crisis that can be solved at a local level. And it's no longer the expectation that government is going to fix it. It is us simply taking responsibility as family members, community members, to f educate ourselves and make a decision to roll up our sleeves and get involved just like you have and just like I have. 
Thank you again, Tim. Thanks. We've been visiting today with Tim Elliott, who is the executive director of the Reentry and Recovery Program for the Dalton Foundation. My name is Greg McNeil, founder of Cover 2 Resources. Thank you for joining us for this Cover 2 PPT podcast. That's people, places, and things making a difference in the opioid epidemic. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Cover 2 Resources podcast. This episode is a production of Cover 2 Resources and is made possible by listeners like you. With your support, the Cover 2 team can continue to research and broadcast these resources to others in need. If you'd like to donate or to sponsor a future podcast, please visit cover2.org. As always, thank you for listening. Together, we can make a difference in the opioid epidemic, one life at a time.